Well, it has been. It's been a wild week. <laughs> Actually, make that a wild year. And for those of you who are watching from outside of Austin and you don't know what's going on, Austin had colder temperatures than Anchorage, Alaska this week. I mean, it was crazy. It was Snowmageddon in Austin, Texas. You know, I, I swore I would never again shovel a driveway when I moved from Chicago 23 years ago. I shoveled my driveway. It is, it's so crazy. And I know, I know, those of you watching from up north or in Norway or Germany, you're like, wah, wah. But you, you don't understand. We are not prepared for this. And people have been without power all week, without water, many without groceries. And I want to say I'm so proud of, of you guys on our, on our different campuses at Gateway because so many stories have come in from our Pflugerville campus or Central or uh, Dripping Springs, Butte of how you guys have opened up your homes. People with trucks have gone and gotten people to bring them to homes where they have, have power or water, uh, you know, driving around, helping rescue people in, in need or wrapping the elderly's, elderly people's pipes um, up here at North they reached out and cared for the nursing home next door that lost power um, down south. People would come to our south location for, for water. And our food pantries at North, South, and Butte have, I mean, given out tons of food. In fact, the constables in Austin came to us asking, could we help? Because they're babies in East Austin, families in need. They need diapers. They need milk. And between our different food pantries, there are different campuses, we were able to meet that crisis need. So thank you. Way to go. And let me just encourage you, Gateway, keep reaching out to the people around you. Check on people that, that you live around, but also that you work with. Because there's also a mental health crisis going on. You know, experts are telling us that that uh, there literally is a new global pandemic starting, a mental health crisis because of COVID-19 going on for so long and the stresses that puts on people, but also, you know, in America, the racial and the political tensions that have been happening. And as a result, you know, people are just struggling with high levels of, ang of anxiety. And so we need to check on one another right now. And that's why we're talking about self-talk. That we need to help ourselves to watch our self-talk. And as we wrap up today, let me just review a little bit. You know, first week, Carlos interviewed um, NFL's most accurate kicker, Justin Tucker, uh, to ask Justin, how do you deal with negative self-talk? And it was, it was interesting because after the interview, Tucker missed more kicks in a row than he has missed all season long. So way to go, Carlos. You got in his head. <laughs> I, I bet he was sitting there thinking, okay, now I've preached on this. I, I got to get it right. And then he didn't, you know, and that it happens to all of us, right? We get these thoughts in our heads and they spin, but they also guide our actions. And so, you know, that's, that's why we're dealing with this. Because maybe you've had thoughts spinning in your head, you know, like, like I can't trust anyone. And the problem with that is you probably have data points. Like from your past, you probably have had people let you down. So you say, look, I can't trust anyone. But that actually is a self-sabotaging uh, lie. Because you don't know everyone, and not everyone is like that. And yet it ends up causing you to push people away so you don't have close friends. Or, you know, when a relationship gets close, you, you sabotage it. So we've got to pay attention to the thoughts running through our minds because they guide our actions. 
That's why we said uh, Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And notice, be transformed is passive. You don't do it, it's something you let God do. But the way you let him do that is you grab hold, you catch those thoughts that just tend to play on repeat in your head. You don't just accept them because some of them, as we, as we said the last couple weeks, are not yours. They're actually evil. And they're actually designed to imprison you in a, in a stronghold that will harm your life. And so we also looked at 2 Corinthians 10. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, against what God says is true. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, some of your self-talk is not yours at all. It's evil whispering or maybe shouting into your mind lies that are trying to hold you captive and, and destroy your life. So you have to take hold of them and you have to start to act on what God says is true until it feels true. And last week I interviewed Dr. Chris Thurman, who's the author of The Lies That, that Couples Believe. And we talked about how these thoughts that bombard your mind, some of them are against the knowledge of God. In other words, they're against what God wants for you, for your relationship, for what God says is true. And it causes destructive relational patterns when we don't take them captive. And I'll say, you know, in this high stress time, marriages are under attack. And pay attention to those thoughts that keep bombarding you about the other person that tends to drive a wedge, right? To divide. That's what evil is up to. You know, David and Kay have been uh, good friends of mine for 22 years now. They've given me permission to tell their story. They've told it up here many times. But 22 years ago, they had been through 18 years of bad relating patterns, which led David to file for divorce. Uh, he felt nagged and controlled, but Kay felt unloved and insecure. But the divorce filings caused Kay to start looking at the self-talk that ran through her mind. She started to get counseling and, and a Christian friend here at Gateway that she started to, to talk to. And she told her friend, I don't need to control everyone, it's just David. And she said, I just feel so terribly insecure when David does something I don't agree with. It's like a panic mix, mixed with rage that comes over me and I just explode, but I don't know why I do it. Well, over the next year, she started to discover the lie driving the, the behavior. The message she got over and over growing up is, if you don't change how you look, how you walk, how, how you talk, if you don't get your act together, Katie, you'll never find love. You'll never find a husband. And she said that was just pounded into her head. She has to get control or risk never being loved. And she said, I couldn't see it or change it on my own, but I found God's spirit guiding me over that next year. And she began to catch the lie and pay attention to the self-talk. And through counseling and through reading scripture and praying and talking to others, she began to replace the lie with the truth. And Kay recalls this. She said, when David and I moved back in to reconcile our marriage, I had a defining moment. David was helping me unload groceries, and as I put the mayonnaise into the pantry, he said, 
You know, they totally ruined that mayonnaise by putting lime juice in it. I really can't stand it now. Kay says, those were fighting words to me. I felt deep hurt inside that quickly rose up into anger. My gut reaction, as crazy as it sounds, was love me, love my mayonnaise. You hate my mayonnaise, you hate me. Which, by the way, is why we can't just trust our feelings. Our feelings can lie to us. But now, she said, I knew the lie driving my habitual explosive behavior. And I felt God's spirit in that moment prompting me to hold my tongue. I went upstairs and I prayed for truth. God's spirit reminded me that David's rejection of something I like does not mean David's rejecting me. She meditated on God's words, like we talked about last week, saying, I don't have to be in control or fix or change anything or anyone to be loved or valued or secure. God is for me. I'm God's masterpiece. I'm secure in Christ eternally. I'm his beloved daughter. She said that calmed her down. She walked back downstairs and told David, without any snide remarks, I'll buy the other kind of mayonnaise from now on. She said, as trivial as that sounds, it was a defining moment for reconciling our marriage. And here, 22 years later, not only are they still married, but David and Kay have helped thousands of couples in marriage crisis make it through it. And David is a spiritual overseer and on our board of directors as well. Now, Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, my followers, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this is what we've been looking at. God changes our talk as we catch those repeating thoughts, that self-talk, and as we seek to know his truth in the Bible and processing with each other in community groups or in life groups, and that helps us get better at better and actually living out what God says is true rather than just the pattern of lies that are in our, our heads, our self-talk. And that brings us to what we need to talk about today, soul-sabotaging self-talk. It's the most dangerous because it's the hardest to see. Oh, I have a, a, a mug um, in, in my office that says, of course I talk to myself. Sometimes I need expert advice. Yeah, why is that so funny? Well, it's funny because you're not supposed to say that. It's prideful, right? And, and, and the truth is self-talk that is prideful and judgmental is the toughest to catch. Now, I remember when I was in Washington, D.C., I was, I was visiting the Lincoln Memorial, which is, you know, a, a memorial to Abra President Abraham Lincoln. But it's right there by all the war memorials, you know, to World War II and one and Korean and Vietnam War, because it, too, is actually a war memorial. In fact, it, it memorializes our bloodiest, worst war, our civil war, where more American lives were lost than in World War I and II combined. And, and, I, and I sat there reading the inscription that's inside the Lincoln Memorial. It's Lincoln's second inaugural address. And it reminded me of our topic today. Lincoln talks about slavery and how it was the underlying issue of the war. And then he comments with irony. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude or duration to which it's already attained. Both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes God's aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men 
should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, i.e. by slavery. But let us not judge that we not be judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. And you know, I stood there reading that over and over, and it just made me think, we can be so blinded by our judgments. And how blind can people be? And I, and I started to think about how honestly, it's not just American civil war, it's common. I mean, if you think about around the world, how this happens in the Middle East, people pitted against people in Ireland, the Tutsis and the Hutus in Africa, half of every marriage in America, if not more. This is evil pitting us against each other and blinding us by our judgments that we make. Evil uses pride and judgmental thoughts to blind us and drive division, and it damages our souls. And that's why I believe Jesus says this in Matthew 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So Jesus says, don't judge. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not to judge between right and wrong. Enslaving people, harming people, that's clearly wrong. That's not what he means here. And in our, in our don't judge me you know, society, I'm sure we would all agree with this command, Right? We can't stand judgmental people, you know, and probably if I asked, we would rank ourselves pretty high on the non-judgmental, you know, scorecard, right? But it's so subtle, friends. It's so subtle. You know, Jesus, therefore, uses a very humorous illustration. He says this, why are you fixated on that little toothpick in your spouse's eye? you know, or your coworker's eye? Why are you fixated on that when you have a two by four in your own eye saying, hey, can I help you get that out of your eye? And meanwhile, you're just like whacking them in the face back and forth. I mean, Jesus is hilarious. Do you see what he's saying? It's ridiculous. And, and yet, it's actually what happens. I love this, this cartoon uh, of that. Uh, Don't worry, Bob, you're in great hands, his surgeon says. Bob was very worried because we can't see accurately when we have a two by four in our own eye. And yet the reason Jesus said this is it's so natural for people to judge. We don't even see that we have a two by four in our own eye. See, we all grow up learning, either judge or be cast out, right? Judge in order to feel better about yourself by putting someone else down. And so we... We are natural at it. And yet these judgmental thoughts and pride, they harm our souls. We've got to learn to recognize them. You know, uh, many years ago when our, when our church was meeting, renting uh, old synagogue on Mopac um, and, you know, struggling along, many people come into faith though. I heard about another pastor here in town who um, was saying judging things about about us and churches like us calling us, you know, seeker churches that water down the Bible. And when I heard that, I was so angry. I was like, who are you to judge? You don't know. And we teach the scriptures faithfully. We just do it in a way that, 
you know, people who don't know churchy language or, or traditions can understand it, kind of like Jesus did. And so I was so mad. Who is this guy? When, when thousands of people through our church were coming to faith and growing, how can he judge us and why? Just to make himself feel better by putting us down? It made me mad. And later that week, I was out driving with a friend. We were driving through Westlake, and I was noticing all the new homes, you know, beautiful, expensive new homes in the Westlake area. And I also noticed that just on about every street corner, it seemed like there was a new church building too. And I had the thought run through my mind, huh, kind of interesting how many pastors get called to the rich part of town, isn't it? And I even said something to the guy I was driving with, thought nothing of it, and a couple minutes later, my own words judged me back. Because the Spirit of God reminded me of how I felt judged by that other pastor early in the week, and all of a sudden in my face, I realized I just did to other pastors I don't know what this guy did to me. I don't know their motives, and yet I judged their motives. Why? Well, as embarrassing as it is, I guess just to put them down to make myself feel more noble and pure as a pastor by putting others down. And yet it's so natural, we all do it. We just don't always catch it. Even as Christ followers, we tend to fall into it. But with things that we hate in others, we're actually judging ourselves. That's why Jesus says, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Now, what does Jesus mean there? You know, because Jesus also says this, whoever hears my word and believes him, God who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So our eternal destiny is not at stake, even if you've been judgmental. <laughs> Good thing, huh? But then what Jesus must mean is that, look, if you've been treated so mercifully by the only one who is just in judging, and he, he doesn't judge anyone who wants his forgiveness because Jesus paid for all our wrongs, he forgives. So if you've been given that, for what you could be justly judged for, how can you go and play God over someone else and judge them as if you're not you know, equally in need of forgiveness? And then our own words, just like they did, will come back to haunt us, just like they did me. So this is what we have to realize. Pride and, and, and judgmental thoughts, they blind us. And that's why they're so damaging. You know, think about it. You know, if someone else is, is late for an appointment, we think, how inconsiderate. Doesn't he know I'm busy? But if we're late, you know, we, we say, well, they'll just have to realize I'm a busy person. I, you know, I, I couldn't help it. If, if, if you know, we're, we're late for somewhere and we're riding someone's tail, and we're like, come on, buddy, get a move on. But we see someone in our rearview mirror and they're riding our tail, we're like, Hey, back off, jerk, right? I mean, you're going to kill both of us. <laughs> you see, marriages, you know, counseling marriages in crisis. Oh my gosh, each so clearly sees the wrongs of the other and has very good reasons to justify all the things the other says they did wrong. 
But someone is blinded by their judgments, usually both. And, and this happens all the time. The rich judge the poor. You know, if, if they would just work hard like me, then the poor judge the rich. If they weren't so, so greedy and self-centered, there'd be more equity in the world. The beautiful people judge the not so beautiful people. Well, she's not one of us. Everyone judges the beautiful people. You know, dumb blonde. I mean, it just happens in every circle. Intellectuals judge others based on their IQ. Psychologists based others judge, uh, based, uh, judge others based on their EQ. Theologians based, judge others based on their TQ. <laughs> Theological quotient. I made it up. But it really does happen. It happens everywhere. You know, at, at a Comdex uh, computer expo a number of years ago, Bill Gates compared the computer industry with the auto industry. He said, if GM had kept up with technology like the computer industry had, we would all be driving $25 cars that got 1,000 miles to the gallon. Well, General Motors didn't like that and responded, yeah, but would you want your car to crash twice a day? See, judging is so natural, it's hard to see. I mean, just think about like at parties, what people do, what we've probably also done. You judge people as whether they're worthy of your time versus someone else by questions like, what do you do? Where do you live? Who do you know? And friends, that's exactly why scripture warns us in James chapter two. It says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, hey, here's a good seat for you, more attention, right? But you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated between people, value judged, among yourselves and become judges with, look at this, evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Now, don't miss that. When we have judging thoughts that devalue others, based on external things, it's evil. And I'm not saying you're evil, I'm saying pay attention because those thoughts are not yours. They're coming from evil. Now don't make them yours, reject them. Catch them and reject them because that's not you. It's designed to imprison you in pride and drive a wedge between you and others, dividing or devaluing other human beings that God says are of equal value to you. So what can we do? Well, first, humble yourself. You know, when you catch judgmental or proud thoughts, just humble yourself. Just realize that when I say things in my mind that elevate me and de-escalate or devalue others, that's a, that's a prideful thought, and it's motivated by evil. And you don't need to hold on to that. You don't need that. It says in, in 1 John 2, 2, Jesus is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. In other words, we've all rebelled against God. We all need his forgiveness equally and God says he loves and values each one of us so much we were worth dying for. Every single one of us. So don't just let judgmental thoughts go loose in your mind. Grab hold of them. And, and, and then humble yourself. 
All of you, Scripture says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. In other words, you don't need that. You will have judging thoughts, but just catch them and then humble yourself and then let God begin to transform the way you think to realize I am loved, I am valued, I don't need to compare or put down others. And then second, let God into your thoughts. Even your judgmental, proud thoughts, let him in. Because here's the thing, God won't force his thoughts on you. You have to let them in. Which means, as hard as it is, if you wanna hold on to revengeful, you know, to, to vengeful thoughts, and, and, and then become this bitter, angry person, God will let you. You know, if you want to just keep on fixating on what bothers you about your spouse and become contemptuous and it, it cause division in your marriage, God will let you. God doesn't force his thoughts or his will on us. We have free will. That's why it says, as a warning in Psalm 10, in his pride, the wicked does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. God doesn't force his thoughts. He didn't force his thoughts on the Pharisees who crucified Jesus. Think about that. The reason they crucified Jesus is they were proud and judgmental of others and kept putting them down, and it blinded them. And, and, and as a result, they, they claimed they loved God, but they used God to get their own agenda done. And we don't want to be people like that. So let God into your thoughts. Pray what David, King David prayed in Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. I just want to encourage you, friends, to pray that. You know, catch those thoughts. Humble yourself and pray. God, you know, what am I thinking here? Thank you that you forgive me. Do I have a log, you know, a two by four in my own eye? Where do I do the same things or things that other people, you know, don't like? Or where do I have blind spots? Let him into your thoughts. And then seek the truth. We can all be deceived. We can all be blinded, just like the Pharisees. But God promises that he won't leave us in the dark if we humble ourselves, you know, if if we let God into those thoughts, even the judgmental ones, realizing he's not there to condemn us, but to help us. And then when we seek the truth, as we've been saying, Jesus made it clear, know his teaching. If you're faithful to my teachings, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And friends, this is why we, we keep insisting and encourage you, get into God's word daily. Get into the Bible every day. Let, let that begin to show you the truth so that you'll be able to see the lies from, from the truth. You know, um, I, I've heard, don't know if it's true, but that federal agents who are trained to spot counterfeit bills, like if they're training them how to spot, spot a counterfeit $100 bill, they don't make them look and study counterfeit $100 bills. There are thousands of them. Instead, they have him know the true $100 bill so well, if there's any deviation, they'll know it's a counterfeit. 
And see, God's word is like the true $100 bill. When we know it, we can spot the deviations that are actually lies trying to root in a self-talk and, and lead us uh, in, in bad ways. And remember, not only knowing the truth, but God's spirit is with you if you've opened up your heart to Christ. And Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So you can listen to the spirit. The spirit of God is the one who pointed out my hypocrisy that day. Not to beat me over the head or condemn me or make me feel guilty, to love me. And to help me grow spiritually so that I don't need to put others down to feel okay about myself. And that's what he wants for you too. Now let me point out one more thing. In that passage in Matthew 7, Jesus says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a two by four in your own? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, notice here, Jesus doesn't say, hey, leave the brother's speck alone. Just let him have his speck. No, it's not saying that at all. He's saying, first, remove the two by four of any judgmental or proud thoughts from your own eye so that you can see clearly yourself to help your brother remove the speck. But it's about the how and the, and the motive. You know, Jesus also says in John 7, 24, stop judging by mere appearances on the outside, but instead judge correctly. That's confusing. So don't judge, but do judge. Again, what he's saying is don't judge people, but do judge right from wrong. In other words, discern right from wrong, but don't judge and devalue people. And you can do both. And by the way, our, our society, our, our don't judge me society gets really confused about this. It's not judgmental to discern or judge right from wrong, even in actions of others, and love them enough to point it out to say, don't go that way, it'll hurt you or it's against God's will. That's not judgmental. You can actually love somebody by pointing that out without judging or devaluing their personhood, their character. Just like you're not being judgmental to your children if you point out right from wrong and you help them go in, in, in right and good ways, but you do it because you love and value the child, right? Now, now, if they do wrong and you pull back your love or devalue them, that's actually against God's ways, and that is being judgmental. But even in the actions of others, we can encourage right without judging that person as less than us or less lovable or less valued. So friends, overcoming this negative self-talk, and especially right now, you know, it's like I said, we're, we're in a mental health crisis. In fact, Psychiatric Times said this, chronic exposure to severe stress in the absence of control among millions is like a perfect storm. Severe mental health consequences are happening on a global scale, increasing rates of depressed mood and suicide and post-traumatic stress disorder are everywhere. So can I ask you, you know, how are you doing? You know, are, are you finding yourself snapping quickly, easily triggered right now? 
Or maybe if you're, if you're married or you're finding, you know, you, you're driving wedges apart right now. If you have kids, are, are they acting out in ways they never did? Or if you have roommates, is the, is the tension high? Look, friends, now is the time for us to pull together and help one another and support one another and really be proactive in connecting with each other and praying for each other and proactive in, in, in opening up to other people, getting counseling. You know, if you're really struggling, you, you know, with thoughts right now that, that are depressive or PTSD or especially suicide, reach out and get help. And you know, if, if you're doing okay right now, I just want to encourage you, proactively check in on those around you, those you work with and those that you live around. You know, there's an ad council campaign called Seize the Awkward, and we, we put it up on the screen. There's some great ways to have conversations just to check in with people and see how they're doing in this season. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, the number as well there, write this stuff down, and then look, Reach out to people and minister to them. Just ask people how they're doing because there are a lot of people really hurting right now. And now more than ever is the time to get connected around here. You know, like we've been saying, we, we put these Thrive workshops out. The new ones being put out. Go to gatewaychurch.com forward slash thrive. It's a, some of them are three weeks. Some of them are six weeks. You can talk about things that are important to you with others right now online. And that may even turn into a community group where you have ongoing spiritual support. We all need that right now. So take a step forward. Get connected around here right now in this season. Because not only will it help you, you can be a help to others as well. Well, as we end today, uh, I just want to create space to pray for God's healing to come into your heart, into your mind, in whatever way you need right now. And let's just remember in this time that as the battle rages in our minds, you know, the battle belongs to the Lord. That's what he tells us in Scripture. You're not in it alone. You've got friends around you here that would love to be in it with you, but the Lord is with you. When you reach out to him, he's going to help you get through it. Let's pray together. We just kind of clear out the space Whatever's going on right now, just stop in your home or wherever you are. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that your promise is you're always with us. If we've let you into our lives, that's all you need. And God, as, as many of us are struggling, um, people everywhere struggling with negative self-talk, thoughts, um, with marriage, with, with children, with tensions, Thank you that you, you don't ever beat us up. You understand. And instead, Lord, you're there to help guide us into truth. So, Lord, help us meditate on what you say is true more than ever in this season. Help us support one another in this season that we might be people uh, who really are able to help others get through it. God, thank you that you love us and you care about us so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.